Center Podcast. I am your host, Ryan, and over there is Alex. Welcome, everybody. Um, this isn't really a space news podcast, but... Um, it's turning into one slowly. <laughs> um, there's just cool stuff happening. Uh, so, the, the rover that we talked about, that's on Mars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got back a couple different sensors. Um, one, I, one, I think, was actually an audio sensor but a couple different vibration sensors they got data back from, and then they turned that into uh, audio. Oh, is that the video I tried to watch the other day that said, like, first sounds from Mars or something? Yeah, so it okay. was the wind. There was Mars wind that okay, vibrated that's right. these sensors, and so they, uh-huh. they did their best to, I, I guess I would argue, quite a good job of converting the vibration back into the audio that would have created it. Did it sound like wind? It sure did, and it was awesome. Did it sound like Mars wind, or just Earth wind? It was, like, super deep and low, so maybe. Mm. <laughs> I tried to watch the video, but it, it was either having internet trouble, or the video just wasn't loading for whatever reason, so I didn't I didn't watch it, but... Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. You need, um, or it's recommended that you have good headphones. It's, it's a, quite a low-frequency noise. Did they estimate how fast the wind speeds were? Um, not that I saw. I'm sure, they video. must know. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I bet you could. I wonder if it's just out. like whipping. Hundred thirty mile an hour winds. That'd be crazy. <laughs> so yeah, Mars stuff. That's um. We're one step closer, people. Yeah, dude. To going. The first person to st- like obviously getting on the moon. That was ridiculous. It's old and news. Then, but it's old news. <laughs> first person to step on mars that's that's just nuts that's absolutely nuts although apparently they're sending some sort of probe or rover of some sorts to the dark side of the moon which hasn't been explored man if they don't bring a pink floyd album with them i'm gonna be pretty upset (laughs) just like leave it in the sand yeah (laughs) and it must be playing uh on arrival oh they would be proud yeah yeah, imagine that, like, if there was some some little, uh, you know, E.T. figure on the moon and just this craft starts approaching and just this that? bizarre oh. sounds, which turn out to be Pink Floyd music. <laughs> Kids yelling and shit. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. Well then. Yeah, let's uh, let's get moving here. So um, I went uh, fairly technical and and whatnot last time, so I figured I'd mm-hmm. relax. Um, so <laughs> chill, chill out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this so one, the, this one's gonna be a little easier for us to understand. Yeah, I think so. Okay. It's just a fascinating thing. So uh, world, um, so the world of like art, right? High stakes paintings and stuff sell for. 50 million 300 million dollars mm-hmm. all kinds of craziness so naturally there's going to be a motivated group of people to either steal or fake said art mm. hmm. um and it begs some interesting questions too because some of the fakes i'll i'll, I'll put at the top of this some of the fakes are so good mm-hmm. and fool anybody that they're, they're only found out by you know some sort of set of happenstance some sort of expert yeah right you know 
does it matter if they're i don't know it is interesting as i was reading through these i on the one hand it sure does because ultimately it's the right you know one person is a special person i suppose or whatever mm-hmm. they paint something but um with some of these paintings that you know some of the fakes of van gogh and stuff <clears> like that they're just they're perfect now are you talking about fakes that are sold as the, the real, real thing? thing yeah so if it makes the person who bought it happy <laughs> although that's quite a, no i mean ignorance is bliss i guess but ultimately that's kind of wrong no it yeah because uh <laughs> someone who spent three hundred million dollars on a painting yeah. if they find out it's fake they're gonna be pretty pissed off yeah and then it all of a sudden probably i don't know does it devalue the original one or make it more valuable uh i would argue more valuable because then you yeah. get to say yeah and people try to like steal my shit all the time or fake it and it's no i i own the real van gogh mm-hmm. well the first thing i thought of um is these are you know these paintings that are going to be worth this type of money are, are one of one right yeah, so yeah. you would think so let's say somebody tried to steal the mona lisa or not steal sell me a fake one if I'm ready to lay down that kind of money, why wouldn't I just call the people who I know probably have the real one and, and ask? Uh, <laughs> I know that's I'll very an- a simple explanation. But... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a great question, and hang on to that because one of the stories here they address that. Okay. Um. So yeah, I couldn't decide whether to. So I prepared a couple uh, instances of people faking and, and doing. <laughs> I mean, getting away with it, basically. Um, Interesting. Well, and actually, you should, we should also consider, too, that uh, some of these, the history of all this, most of it's pre-internet. Most of it's pre-global okay. communication, right? Sure. So that makes sense. Somebody in China has a painting, and then, a, I'm sorry, is sold a painting by mm-hmm. whoever, and then that guy makes a fake and sells it to somebody in Europe. Chances of those two people finding out at least in let's say like 1800 or whatever right right pretty low so this is less of a thing now well not i guess in some ways i think the well i'm gonna say no actually weirdly enough you would expect it to be but Mm -hmm. somehow uh people are still stealing art fairly frequently (laughs) (laughs) so so my theory on who they're selling it to right now i guess is going to be like rich Rich people who I guess really just don't give a fuck. They, right? That's that's I suppose that's what's required, which kind of makes you a badass, I guess. But I'm well, thinking because good. If I own, yeah, I mean, I guess if if I buy a thirty million dollar painting, black market, and then I if I, it's supposedly one of one. If I ever want to sell it again, I got to resell it on the black market because I'm not supposed to have it in the first place. And not only that, I mean, how can you really show it off? Right. If you're if you're if you're whipping it out. Check out, out the Mona Lisa. <laughs> what? Is that real? Yeah, man. I, I don't of course I don't it know is. what's going on right now. <laughs> yeah, so I, I have to imagine it's like I could see like a an organized crime boss or somebody. Somebody who's already deep into it. And the the friends that they have over at their parties aren't going to tell. So they're like, yeah, I've got the Mona Lisa. And mm, get to me that Van Gogh painting. Right. <laughs> so I can hang it above my 
I don't know, what's something else fancy that you might steal? <laughs> Cars. Cars, yeah. In my garage full of counterfeit Lamborghinis. All right, so let's do some uh, specific examples here. So recently, let's let's start with a recent one. Just to, so in 1960, this guy Sean Greenhall, uh, he's a British art forger. Uh, so from 1989 to 2006, he was mm-hmm. producing a large number of forgeries, and he teamed up. Actually, it was like a family operation. His wow. grandparents, <laughs> I'm sorry, his his elderly parents, excuse me, not his grandparents, uh, and his brother. We're, uh, we're, we're involved. Those must um, have been some crazy family dinners. Yeah, right? I want to hear some of those conversations. Because, yeah, I mean, you got to talk about it. you got to discuss it. How are it we had gonna... to come up one day, and then and then you had to manage it later on. So. Right. Who's, uh, maybe Sean was the boss. <laughs> um, they successfully sold their forgeries. And, and these guys, I think, are dealing in, I think, some paintings and whatnot. But I think something easier to fake is like Roman pottery or uh, uh, yeah. Sculptures. So that was one of my my questions before because you said that a lot of these counterfeits are so good, but I would imagine that to make a indistinguishable counterfeit, you almost got to have the original anyway to do that. Like somebody's got to make that initial copy, right? Yeah. So maybe maybe that's somebody on the inside, some art curator. He's like, "Mm, okay, I'm going to go in late at night and slowly copy this The the same story that answers your your first question, or at least the other one, um, Mm. also answers this one. Yeah, the the guys later on, they (laughs) steal it. They do steal it in order to fake it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we'll get there. I'll wait for that then. That'll answer. That'll be a good moment. Um, So, yeah, this uh, family... Up until 2006, they were selling to museums, auction houses, private buyers. They were, Damn. Um, they were really into it. And, you know, it's hard to tell these sort of things, but they're arguably one of the most prolific, you know, fakers. And it was just within, you know, a couple of years ago, basically. Right, right. Um, and this will come into play a little bit later, too. But he only ended up, Sean, the... Or maybe the mastermind, I don't really know. Four years and eight months. That's that's what he did. Really? In terms of time, yeah. And how much money did they make? I saw a couple different estimates. Um, 100 million was, 100 million pounds was the most common figure. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I wonder if part of what, I wondered if part of what, how they got away with things was uh, they were probably making good but quick fakes and selling mm-hmm. them for relatively cheap. So it wasn't like they were ripping people off for 50, well, 100 grand at a time, right? It was more mm-hmm. like yeah. a couple thousand dollars at a time. Do you think like a museum would knowingly purchase a fake so they that they all... can claim oh. that they have something even though they know it's fake? I would, uh, um, maybe. Because that sounds like a, if you can make that connection as the one that's creating the fakes, that's a, that would be a pretty good avenue. Because then you both agree to what you're doing. Yeah, then you both, everybody wins. Everybody. <laughs> Not only. Except for the people at the museum, but whatever. Well, they don't, that's the thing is they don't know. They don't Ignorance know. Ignorance is bliss. So yeah, everybody <laughs> wins. Um, 
That's it. We've just found the best way to create yeah. and market forged artwork. It sounds like we should stop recording right now and <laughs> change business plan. <laughs> I imagine if an art curator, you're our imaginary art curator right now, um, mm-hmm. he's looking at his collection of ancient Egyptian pottery. I think that, yeah. Um, and he's like, man, I just need like one or two more pieces. Right, I could fill in this whole collection. Yeah, make it make it complete, and then yeah, and that'll draw more. Museum I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go in. forward with that's exactly what's going on. <laughs> it makes sense to me. Um. So yeah, while I was looking into these guys, it was a common thing. To, uh, I'm sorry, they're they're reported like lifestyle and everything, going back to the million dollars, which didn't or the million pounds, which. I guess in 2006 would have been uh well definitely more than a million u.s dollars uh mm-hmm. i can't remember how much but anyway they didn't they all things told they weren't necessarily making a ton of money for the amount of time that they put in you think about 1989 right. to 2006 i mean that's that's a that's a good number of years over two decades um they probably decided i wonder what that i don't know go ahead you know, rather than going after the most prolific art, they would just, you know, set the bar at like 75% in terms of, you know, the prestigious artwork that they were trying to copy. That way they kind of were under the radar a little bit, maybe? I guess. Or they just went for volume sales. <laughs> um, and obviously I was off by over two decades. That's 17 years, right? Um, 89 to 2006. Um, so that's $58,800 a year, pounds a year. Hmm. I mean, I, to go, okay, going back to what you said about tax Arcade, free, though. Tax free, good call. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Ta- yeah, that's, that's actually a super good point. Um, this is just what these guys did for a living. There must be this art curator market. That's amazing. <laughs> They weren't even necessarily thinking of themselves as critical. I'm sorry, criminals. They were just filling a, a niche market that they saw. A niche. All right. He, this guy kind of goes to a museum and looks around <laughs> and finds the right people and was like, hey, I noticed you're missing um, you know, this small piece of pottery. I think I could get that for you. Bam. Maybe the art curator. And the, the other way to do it, too, is maybe the art curators don't necessarily know that it's a fake. In that True. Way, you know? True. So you got two markets there. You got people who know and people who don't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these guys. There's opportunity here. <laughs> Smarter than they appear. So how did they do it? Like, do you have any information on how they physically went about this? Uh, I mean, it was, they were, so this is another interesting question that I came up with through all this, especially on the fakes. Um, you know, what separates a picasso from an equally talented painter other than luck uh because picasso and and like rembrandt and whatnot there are people and these this family in terms of the sculptures that they recreated they're obviously good enough to be passed off as the original so mm-hmm. you know they're just as talented i suppose right. um so yeah they they did mostly like i'm looking at um they did like a wood sculpture you know they have a bunch of wood sculptures and, and a few different things um and so Did they, they make any of their own original content? Um, 
Sounds like they might as well have. <laughs> They're pretty good at it. It doesn't... Hmm. That's a good question. Because hmm. they definitely copied plenty. So uh, there's sure. a list on uh, yeah. a couple different places, you know, uh, of some famous ones that they, they forged mm-hmm. um, that were eventually found out. It's funny, there's a, uh, at least on the Wikipedia page for all this, um, there's a, a spot where it tries to like, you know, when this sort of thing, when fakes get revealed, the art world gets, obviously gets pissed off because ultimately mm-hmm. it's embarrassing. And so sure, sure enough, there was all sorts of like, once the fakes were found out, people were like, oh, they have no artistic ability. You know, fuck these people. Which oh, I suppose makes sense, but if you then, if you turn around and say that the thing that you believed is no longer good. It's just right when what does nothing that say about physical you? about that thing has changed. Right, exactly. Hmm. So yeah, but yeah. when you're dealing with with art like that, I mean, it does come down to the name of who who's done it. It does, yeah, clearly. And in yeah. fact, they're going through all this. I didn't do anything specific, um, but there are a number of points where a few artists um, made fakes for the purpose of demonstrating the uh, nature of the whole thing, you know, the snobbiness of the art world or you oh. know, making making a statement, basically. People engaged mm-hmm. in, in, in art faking for the express purpose of, you know, calling... This is calling real art out. fakes. Right. <laughs> um, so I guess moving on from those guys, uh, there was a 19th century German goldsmith. Um, he died... And then it took forever after he died, well, uh, like 40 years, I think, um, for his fakes to be found out. Um, He was originally, he got, he started off making like legal reproductions, which don't understand the Mm -hmm. difference, (laughs) Uh, for certain things. And then he just took those talents and just moved over to faking it because he could make more money, basically. (laughs) Uh, 60 years after his death, excuse me. Uh, So going way back to um uh no i'm sorry wrong guy uh another quite recent one a german art forger wolfgang bellatrachi i'm butchering the end of that that's not a german name right cc not really it doesn't sound yeah yeah, the first part wolfgang sure i was gonna say it with a german accent but then i got to the cchi and that's not right (laughs) anyway um, faked between a thousand and thirteen hundred. Um, this guy did specifically paintings, which I guess to me could potentially seem harder. I don't know. Hmm. And he was caught in two thousand ten, so he's still really. So I think I think the <laughs> I think the market that he's uh, catering to is the rich people who. Or that he's he's not selling he's not faking the Mona Lisa he's faking uh, a, a, an expensive painting but arguably one that like you or I don't know you know what I mean that a, a sure. woman has yeah. no idea so at right. a party because I think this is where this all comes down to is when you're showing the painting off most people you say it's a a painting by Van Gogh but it's right. some painting that nobody really knows you just you just say wow and nod your head right right. <laughs> Um, so again, I'm, I'm actually going to hit stop right now. 
Uh, <laughs> Wait, you so, stopped your... No, 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 no. I was joking in terms of I'm oh. moving over to Artfix right now. Okay. I realized after I said that, I was like, oh, shit. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Go find my recording. <laughs> uh, there was... I, I actually didn't... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I did get his name. Uh, there was a portrait of Mary Todd Lincoln. This one okay. was an interesting fake because... I'm assuming that's Lincoln's wife? Yeah, yep. Okay. Uh, this was an interesting fake because it uh, it was originally... an, Or uh, I should say, we now know after discovering it was a fake, but it actually started off as somebody's painting by an artist that we don't know. Somebody mm. bought that painting, made alterations to make it look like Mary oh, Todd geez. Lincoln, and then passed it off as such. Well, that's interesting because um, remember when we talked about Columbus a while back? Yep. Uh, if you remember, there aren't really any... There's plenty of paintings that depict him, but nobody really knows what he looked like because, you know, he looks different in all of these right. these paintings. So, knowing that, I feel like somebody could create, you know, a random painting of Columbus and say it was done by, you know, do it in the style of a, a known artist and then... It's just something that nobody knew existed, but boom, here it is. Yeah. Um, you could pass something off that way, too. If it isn't clear at, at this point, while I was going through this, part of me was like, these people are genius. Yeah, I could see how this might work. <laughs> but you do have to be talented. Yeah, yeah. Which I feel like these works. are people who went to like art school and just couldn't figure out any other way to make money. I, yeah, I mean, every, clearly everybody has got skill. Or I shouldn't say everybody. You must, yeah. The ones that get away with it must have skill. Mm-hmm. So, um, there were claims that... Could you imagine, though, if you were really bad at it? And, like, <laughs> you went to go sell your first knockoff and someone was like, what is that? <laughs> you just get awful. arrested on your first illegal sale. <laughs> oh, shit. That didn't work. <laughs> Um, Your punishment is actually going back to school because this is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so there were there were also claims at one point that uh, well I shouldn't say at one point um, it's possible that Michelangelo started off creating fakes. Really. And then yeah, because ultimately I think a big motivation is starving artists to use that term. Uh, they need to make money, and a, a good number of them clearly turned to faking art. Um, it's like doing cover albums as a starting, you know, musician. But then not <laughs> trying not to hide telling anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and selling it to someone who's never heard of the previous. Did you make this? I didn't make that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, okay. So I think that's probably good for um, the fakes. So moving on to some heists. Uh, the These are fairly recent. Um make it a little more relevant to, to what has happened these days. Uh, the Gardner heist happened in 1990. And it was, so it was 1.24 a.m., March 18th, 1990. Two guys dressed as police officers knocked on the door of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum, which is in Boston. They demanded to be let in. You know, they, they looked like cops, and there were only two, there's only two, this will be a common theme. There's only two guards um, guarding this museum, which contains untold riches, right? That's twice as many as 
<laughs> there are guarding the uh, doorway to the White House, right? I suppose in terms of actual people, yes. But right, yeah, there's a lot going on at the White House that isn't going on at uh, <laughs> museums. Sorry. I imagine. Anyway. No, good point though. I mean, well, remember there was that got... guy that like ran through the front door. Well, he yeah, he ran out onto. I think he ran out on like the lawns, right? Or did he actually get inside? No, I thought he got inside, and he, all shit. he had to do was push past one guard. Oh, I'm pretty sure this okay. happened. Like, all right. No, I, I know the incident you're talking about, but I'm guessing. I'm guess I forgot the detail that he uh, made it. I could inside. be remembering it wrong, but no, I'm pretty no. sure he made it inside. Well, if that's the case, then damn. <laughs> so they get in, they get let in, um, and they handcuff the two guards that are there and put them in the basement. And for the next eighty or so minutes, they are, you know, looting the place and loading up a van, and they drive away, and they get 80 away with minutes? it. Eighty minutes. Yep. Whoa. That's so, pretty impressive. Yeah. So some of the things they stole, uh, Rembrandt, Storm on the Sea of Galil, uh, Vermeer's... Oh, one of the... my favorites. Right, right. <laughs> Vermeer's... I like to drink scotch while I look at it. <laughs> Single malt, of course. <laughs> Vermeer's The Concert uh, was another one. Five works by Edgar Degas. Degas, probably, actually. Um, so they got away with some some big names for sure and um in a couple spots they actually just cut the painting right out of the frame uh yeah i've heard of that that's an important detail later Mm -hmm. well maybe not important spoilers they shouldn't have done that because it ruins the painting yeah pretty much (laughs) (laughs) um and so these this uh, museum was hosting a, a collection that was it was a personal collection of an eccentric heiress who handpicked the works on her travels through Europe in the 1890s. And so this was her collection that I assume at this point the estate owned, you know, her, mm-hmm. her family's estate owned and they rented it out to different museums, right? Okay. That's another way. That's how you make money. <laughs> if you're a rich person, buy a bunch of crazy good art. <laughs> Seriously. Like, and then you just yeah, go you over museums and... <laughs> hey, you, you pay me however much per month or year or whatever and... You can wow. and you literally don't have to do anything else. Nothing else. Huh. Not bad, right? Not bad. So, um, to date, it's this probably is the largest, if not, or it's in the top three, let's say, of uh, the largest property theft in U.S. history. Uh, potentially $600 million. And we still, as of right now, don't have the, uh, we don't know who did it. We don't have the paintings recovered or anything like that. And, Whoa. but the interesting part about the story, not, I mean, that's cool, but we got a, the, there's this FBI agent, um, and he thinks he got really close to actually finding him. So, but then, well, I'll, so they brought in basically an art, uh, expert and he, I shouldn't say they brought in an art expert started working for the FBI as a, mm-hmm. um, undercover guy. So they would basically use art experts who could talk the talk and were obviously comfortable with, you know, the risks. Mm-hmm. And you just basically try to infiltrate art rings and, and what they call the gray market. Mm-hmm. And that's how the FBI does a lot of their, um, you know, attempting to apprehend these different art criminals. But sure. interestingly, or not, well, 
It's fairly low on the totem pole still, though, the art theft, which is, I think, one reason people like to do it. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, you're not not harming people, you know, for the most part. Yeah, not physically. I guess those, those guards that they handcuffed, you know, yeah. was the extent of that. Right. Yeah, they were fine. Yeah. So... It's a lot of money, but it's it's not causing anybody immediate danger, I guess. Right. Hmm. So the guy's name is Bob Whitman, the uh, the FBI agent, and so through a through a guy that he sort of knows on the gray market, who he's not actually interested in, he's just like his doorway in. Although mm-hmm. at one point, um, from some of the articles I was reading on this, you know, he did have plans to try and arrest this guy too. But anyway. Through this, through this quote, they made quote, a deal. Right through this friend, um, they eventually meet two um, two guys that are probably part of the French mafia, which I didn't necessarily know existed. But hmm. um, and they met with these guys a number of times, and at one of the first meetings, they described the art that they had, and it it was pretty clear that it was the collection that was stolen. Mm-hmm. Not obviously can't be sure, but mm-hmm. it seemed like the be- it was certainly the best lead they had in a while, and they they went as far as to, to gain these guys' trust. Um, they brought them to a yacht that had a bunch of bikini-clad undercover cops. Nice, how one article put it. Um, Men. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so they basically staged a fake art. They brought these guys that they were actually interested. They staged a fake art deal of basically to prove that the the one guy was legit the undercover guy so they Mm -hmm. did like a 1.2 million dollar sale of some fake art to some fake colombian drug lords on a a, well it's a real yacht but you know the whole thing's staged and they brought the french guy yeah they brought the two french guys yeah there to witness it yeah exactly but the colombian guys were in on the right the whole thing thing okay the whole thing was set yeah so it was just there to be like hey you know i'm doing an art deal over here if you want to come check it out i guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want to just, you know, get a feel for things. Right, right. It's like test a test drive. drive. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then what, what ended up derailing everything was the French police busted the, basically the home art ring that these guys were sort of a part of. And when that happened, the undercover agent was accused by the two guys they met in now now heightened circumstances and he got accused of being a cop and he was able to talk his way out of it for that meeting. Then about a year later, more arrests were made within the same art ring and the guys basically just disappeared. They didn't necessarily get arrested by the French police, but you know, the, mm-hmm. everything came down. So they just kind of, you know, went into the wind. Sure. And so that was the end of it. You know, it, so far, none of the paintings that were stolen have surfaced. Uh, they're probably still in existence because... One of the things that, you know, if you're an art thief and you can't sell the art, it doesn't make sense to destroy it because ultimately if you do get caught with it, you can at least try to barter and say, well, I'll give the art back if you, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're probably still huh. out there. So they're just sitting in somebody's trunk or, you know, basement or not trunk of a car. Uh <laughs> That would be that would be been so driving around town for the last ten years with this Van Gogh in there. It's got a little mustard on it from one night. <laughs> I like McDonald's. What can I say? So yeah, that one's crazy. And 
Was then, it, when did they? When did this happen? Like the whole fake setup and and things coming down. Oh, the fake setup was uh, not too long ago. Um, shoot, I don't have a, a date actually on the. I mean, last ten years. Type well, two thousand six was when they first um, met the, the two guys. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So pretty recent. Yeah. That's yeah. So this is, and it was only stolen in in nineteen ninety. So they sat on them for sixteen. You know, they've been sitting on them since then. 28 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, they can't find these guys? No. Or is it just like, you know. What do you mean? I was going to say the original, the people that they were originally going after with the that, fake setup. honestly, I don't know. Maybe you think... they just can't touch that anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I got bad info. Because it, it, that's a good point. It, it would kind of make sense if they maybe did get wrapped up in, in that second round of arrests. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy ended up leaving Bob Whitman he ended up leaving the FBI and he wrote a book and he part of the book is he's saying that the FBI he basically think, he, he would answer your question with yes you can go find these guys so he still mm-hmm. thinks you you know there's trails to follow but it just FBI wasn't just, yeah it yeah. wasn't prioritized yeah he's probably taking matters into his own hands he's just gonna go steal the art himself maybe He's probably involved. He got all his training he needed right from the FBI. You better write the <laughs> FBI a letter and give him your theory. <laughs> I think you guys need to keep an eye on Bob Whitman. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we know. We're, we're, yeah, we know. <laughs> um, uh, one other detail on this uh, I just thought was pretty interesting. By the way that the guys did the robbery, uh, one, it's, it's amazing how, and this will be relevant again, it's amazing how just you know they just walk up and do this like the sophistication was not high at all and the fact that they cut the um were there no like cameras and stuff that they were looking you know i guess in there for 80 minutes i mean we're but we're also talking about 1990 so yeah you ever have you ever think about how easy crime could be in certain ages does that ever cross your mind definitely so you know wear gloves and a ski mask i think i think it's that simple really as long as you do it at one thirty in the morning. Hmm. I mean, I guess why wouldn't that work now? I don't have a good on-deck answer for that. Hmm. but Just don't bring your phone with you. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Um, so... But, you know, they, they had a van. You could track the van, probably. Yeah. Like... But I guess you just take using the that satellite plans. thing I talked about last week. That's True. how you do that today. Yeah, that's, that's what stopped that. me today. Uh, not even satellite thing. It's, it's a plane flying around. The plane anyway, thing. Yeah. Um, the the fact that they cut the paintings out basically suggested that while they're talented and at least intelligent, you know, because there's there's grace definitely in the simplicity of their plan. Um, nobody got hurt or anything. So mm-hmm. they're talented thieves, but uh, they're dumb in terms of art. So they just saw an opportunity and weren't necessarily uh what's the word i'm looking for you know their their career wasn't art art thievery it was sure, sure. general did they know what they were stealing <laughs> who's general thievery <laughs> yeah I, I i imagine it was like you know one of those movie situations where it's like there's a guy who's not actually going to go on the job but he's the planner and then there's the act you know the the away team that actually goes and does it all i mean right i things. mean you just go to the museum as a spectator right earlier and and plan things out mark your points of interest yeah 
POI. Uh, what is that movie? Um, I'm thinking of Heat. That was that was Banks, but yeah, similar. Same thing. Yeah. Um, so the the other one um, that I was checking out was uh, the theft of the Mona Lisa. Yeah, which has been attempted how many times? Well, I don't. I actually didn't find any. It's been attacked oh, I a couple it... of times. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, well, so it's an interesting story, and I, I didn't necessarily. I knew it had been attempted to be stolen at, at certain points, but this theft that happened in 1911 is what gave the painting its fame. So the reason the Mona Lisa, it was, oh. I mean, it's, it's by a famous artist, of course, but yeah. amongst his body of work until this theft, actually, sorry, there were some hist- hipster art snobs who in the 1860s, they were, they were on it early. They were onto that new shit real early. <laughs> And they were they were calling the Mona Lisa, you know, one of the best. But 1911, uh, the news coverage that the heist got, in part because yet again it's simplicity and crudeness. The the French media at the time just was ripping into the government, the French government, for um, losing it. Hmm. And so, so yeah, it actually did get stolen. Oh yeah, it got stolen. It was missing for two years. Where was it located when it got, like, was the, it... The Louvre. Uh, That's the French art museum in Paris. Okay. The, you know, the, tri, uh, the diamond, not the diamond shoes. The pyramid uh, yeah. glass sculpture oh, and everything. Okay. Yeah. So, it's, and that's where it is today. So, it's been there for, for a long time. But if it wasn't as famous, then it probably was not very well guarded or... So... You know, why did they steal that one in particular? Yeah. Van, um... Vincino, uh, let's see, Vincino uh, was the guy's name. He was hired as a handyman to make um, glass cases and protective barriers, ironically, for different things within the Louvre, and mm-hmm. one of those things being the Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. And maybe he was a, well, he, uh, he's an, obviously an Italian, and um, the painting being uh, Michelangelo's, right? Uh, I just realized I didn't. Yeah, Mona Lisa was Michelangelo, right? Gee, that's embarrassing. Um, I think so. Um, no, Da Vinci. Oh, jeez, yeah, of course. Um, and Da Vinci being Italian, ultimately this guy's motivations, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, yeah, jeez, Michelangelo, that was dumb. Is that uh, even the same time period? Not entirely. Uh, but that not was a too... motorcycle that just went by. Was by it really? <laughs> yeah, that's that's gonna make it on. I yeah, I heard it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, the so the Mona Lisa was was made potentially fifteen oh three to oh six. So that's not too. I should know this. That's not too far from. Uh, I think Michelangelo was. I mean, it's. I don't think Are they right. all Italian Renaissance time right. period? Right. Why is this painting held in such high regard? When I look at it, I don't. The artist, first off. That's it. And the heist, well, sure. second. Seriously. Like, the heist is, and the news coverage is, mm-hmm. you know. And obviously the artist is is. All and right nobody now. knows who she is, right? Right. Although it's pretty well accepted, I suppose, that uh, it's uh, the Virgin Mary. Or it's supposed to represent oh. the Virgin Mary. Okay. It, it's, uh, it's very similar to other depictions of... Uh, hmm her at the same time 
Um, so yeah, this okay, guy. So this guy in, is hired. Yeah. yeah, so he's hired up. He identifies what he wants to take. He is motivated to bring the painting back to Italy. He thinks he's going to be held as a hero. Um, so he hides in a broom closet, waits for the guards to leave, and walks out. Walks up, takes it off the wall, and puts it literally puts it under his coat and walks out. Really? Yeah. That was it. Now, this wow. is 1911, though, so definitely no cameras, you know, nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like I said, it got huge coverage. Uh, it took, mm-hmm. well, sorry, it took 24 hours to notice. Um, and the guy that first noticed it walked over to, I forget exactly who, but somebody that worked at the museum said, hey, this painting's gone. And the guy says, oh, it must be with the photographers to, you know, for, for press purposes. He says, okay. A couple hours later, the same guy says oh, it's still not back on the wall so he goes to the museum curator and the guy's like no it's not i didn't give it to the photographers what are you talking about and so 24 hours is how long it took for anybody to really understand that it was missing hmm. um which i thought was fun that is interesting have you seen how it's stored now uh only in pictures but yeah it's uh yeah. it's sitting on the wall and it's behind a super thick bulletproof everything proof <laughs> glass case and the painting yep. itself is uh ridiculously Quite small, small. Mm-hmm. at yeah. least in the context of everything it's around it's much smaller than probably the image you have in your head um well i'm looking at a picture of it right now and well and I, i'm sorry i'm talking to the, the listeners i suppose oh oh right them <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's, it's wild. Uh, it's interesting. I, I was just thinking right now that it's so small because, um, I, I went to a, uh, an art museum in Florence, Italy, mm-hmm. and a lot of paintings, even from that time, I mean, they're, they're huge. They're big. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are really big. The statue of David, which is, is, that is a powerful thing to see something that mm-hmm. old and, um, that impressive it's also mm-hmm. very very large yeah i mean this thing looks like it's it's like 10 by it's like 8 I by mean, 11 it's not, i was gonna say it's maybe a little <laughs> bigger than eight and a half by 11 but not much she just printed it out that's all <laughs> so oh wait got... oh wait hang on i actually have dimensions oh nice it's quite a bit bigger than that 30 by 21 yeah okay it's still... I think when you look at a picture of people looking at it... That's what makes um, it look really small, yeah. It, yeah, because it's... Yeah, it looks mad small. But then, here's a picture I'm looking at... Um, up on the wall at, I guess... Uh, let's see. It's John F. Kennedy looking at it. Oh, nice. Unveiling of the Mona Lisa at the National Art National Gallery of Art during a visit to Washington, D.C. in 1963. So I don't know if it was there. Yeah, it, it gets uh, a lot like uh, okay. you were saying. Oh, it looks bigger than that picture is my oh, point. Okay. But anyway. So he steals it, um, and for two years he's got it. And this is going back to your earlier question. So one of the strategies, interestingly enough, especially pre-internet, is to steal a work of art. It's quite involved. Steal a work of art, and then when nobody knows where it is, you have a little bit extra leverage in the sales process to say, here's the painting. So what the theory is, is that, or one of the things that um, could be done, although in this particular instance, it seems to have been a fake story, 
it, in the, the heist of the, the Mona Lisa, there was this story written um, a couple of years later that uh, that's exactly what they were doing. Um, they made six copies of the painting while it was stolen, right? Nobody knew where it was and managed to sell it to people that were in like the six furthest points away from each other on the earth, basically. That was their plan. But that that seems to maybe not have actually happened. Um, and it was a really detailed news article that this guy wrote. Um, and the biggest thing is that none of these supposed six fakes were ever found. Okay. Or haven't yeah. haven't surfaced at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so how he gets caught, he uh, he tries to sell it basically, and he he tries to get to a um, or he sets up a, a meeting with a dealer and uh, a guy who's uh, the director of um, an art gallery in Florence. Funny enough, hmm. you know, because he's trying to get it back to Italy, and yeah. he genuine, you know, at this point he genuinely thought he was going to be, you know, he's walking into this meeting thinking, "Fuck me, I'm awesome." <laughs> I rescued this painting. Yeah. Um, and so the guy rats him out, and that's sort of the end of it. He goes to jail, uh, but not for very long. Um, hmm. The guy was only 32. So again, coming back to uh, the the punishment for a lot of this, people, people, you know, they, they make a couple million. This guy didn't, but, you know, you make a couple million, you do a couple years, mm-hmm. and you're set to go. Yeah, that the first people you let off with, what did you say, a couple, it was like four years or something? Yeah, yep, that was it. With a hundred million waiting for you at the end? Yeah, well, I mean. Or do they take your money? I'm sure, well, it depends, I suppose that depends on how you set up your Cayman Island situation. (laughs) Hmm. Um, So yeah, that's that's Heist's uh, quick interesting thing, or uh, the painting of the Mona Lisa has been uh, attacked twice since uh since being stolen in 1956 someone threw acid on it whoa and then a few months later did it, someone did it make it to the painting yeah yeah oh so uh these paintings uh they have um and and this is true for most old art i think uh or if not all of it uh they have coats of varnish on them that is able to be stripped and restored without uh really yeah yep so like in that art museum in italy that the last time the painting was restored was usually something that you would see on on the little plaque next to the painting. That's fascinating. Yeah, I thought that was wild. So yeah, you can strip these layers of varnish without. And in fact, a lot of paintings have either had touch-ups, the Mona Lisa included. The second person who attacked it threw a rock at it and chipped a piece of the shoulder, and what? they repaired it. Um, and then yeah, the whole varnish thing. So some of the most famous paintings have absolutely had alterations to them either either nefarious or so did the acid eat through the varnish or did it only affect the varnish i think i I believe it only affected the varnish because when you look at it it's not like there's acid marks on it or anything right at least not that i see um and then so after the rock they put blue bulletproof glass around it and in 1974 someone with the with you know i don't know what their plan was or they didn't really think it through. They tried to spray it with paint while it was in Tokyo. And it obviously had a, a case around it, so that didn't work. Um, and then in 2009, um, a Russian woman, distraught over being denied French citizenship, threw a ceramic teacup at it. Hmm. What the 
why is pe- people want the legacy of being the one to destroy <laughs> i guess so <laughs> so i just looked up um the list of most expensive paintings okay and a painting by da vinci called salvatore mundi sold in november 2017 so just last year for approximately 450 million dollars damn what's the painting of salvador monday oh sorry sorry <laughs> i guess i don't know it's sorry. uh it's a picture of a guy he's looking straight at you he's kind of a jesus-like figure and he's holding what looks like some sort of crystal ball orb in one hand it would be his left hand and then he's got his right hand up kind of mid-level in the painting and he's crossing his index finger and middle finger together got it Real quick before we jump out of yours, I did look up. Uh, so Michelangelo and uh, Da Vinci were were definitely in the same time frame. Okay. Michelangelo was born fourteen seventy five, died fifteen sixty four. Which damn, he's eighty some odd years, right? That's pretty good mm. for back then. Um, and the Mona Lisa was was done in potentially fifteen oh three. So right in right in there. Well, I'm sure whoever knows weird. art probably hated listening to all that. <laughs> should have I should have known my dates before <laughs> starting. Anyway, so yeah, okay. that's uh, some so, some art height stuff. Yeah, you got to look at this though, because what? oh the painting. Yeah, because if you go to the Wikipedia page for it, they show it before it was restored, and after. It's way different. Really? Um, give me the name of that again. Sorry. Um, Salvatore, so S A L V A T O R, Mundi, M U N D I. And what's the name of the painting? That's it. Oh. Which translates to Savior of the World. Okay. All right, I'm looking at it. Or at least Google Images when we go to the Wikipedia page. So go to the Wikipedia page and go down to. Oh, I see it, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so this is. Look so at the like, curls of the hair on the left. They're completely different. Yeah, they extended them a little bit, it looks like. Past past his, like... Uh, and the way the hair falls on the top of the head is different. Look at the like, shadowing. Like, there's a lot that's the same, but there's a lot that's different. The shadowing underneath the chin got worse after the restore. Yeah, it's, like, blurry now. Yeah. But I think that's... But the thing is, I think the flip side of it is that... Uh, without restoration they they degrade even more i think at least that's one argument hmm. it just look i don't know maybe yeah maybe we don't understand the scope of restoring a painting i would actually argue that we don't <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not but still, and, as somebody who knows nothing, it is it is surprising. To it see is that. interesting to look at. In fact, yeah, even his like the way his bangs fall from the part mm-hmm. of his hair, right, is different. Everything is different. In fact, everything's blurrier for sure after the fact. Look at the the crystal ball has like three reflections in it now that. that weren't there before. I see that too. Yeah, Early, but granted, it's a black and white photo, so who knows? Yeah, if an old photo too at that. So, um. Reading or looking at some of the art in Italy, um, 
definitely there are there have been times where restorations have of famous paintings have been fucked up and, and kind of ruined the painting that's absolutely happened <laughs> that sucks that's right crazy. can you imagine <laughs> yeah that would really suck you just like take a step back and you're like ah, shit <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i'm gonna use the heist part of your actually okay. the whole the whole thing that you talked about there's a there's a crime element there right yeah. Um, and I want to talk about international waters. Ooh. And a big focus of that turned into some interesting stories surrounding crime and stuff yeah. that happens in international waters. Nice. So I'm hoping that you have some something to contribute here yeah. too. But it's a that's um, a good idea because that is an interesting world. It is interesting, and the reason it, it kind of drew me in is just because on without really looking into it further, it sounds like. You know, in theory, I could go out into international waters and do, do whatever I want. Do anything. <laughs> it's like a wild west out there. That's not entirely true. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess. That, I guess that. <laughs> <laughs> right, because then you would hear there would have been a lot crazier stories for this, this topic. If that can were you imagine true. if people? You know, it's like, well, I mean, you cross you cross the international border and you got pirated. That's that's kind of your fault. Well, it is interesting. One of the stories we'll get to really does involve the finite details of where the border starts and, and ends. Oh, man. Okay. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, but so, so I guess just in case someone doesn't know, the, inter- the idea of an international waters is that, you know, a country owns or is in charge of patrolling and, and protecting a certain, you know, amount of water away from their land right distance um, off the coast right and then once you get to beyond that distance uh that that water's not necessarily policed by anyone so um yeah there aren't necessarily any laws pertaining to that section of the ocean um but where the whole idea of the laws surrounding international waters come from, I guess there was uh, something called the Convention of the High Seas, and basic, which is awesome. That's high amazing. Seas is another term for international waters; they they're interchangeable. Um, Wait, even in legal documentation? Uh, I don't know about legal, more colloquially, I would say. Okay, okay. I think high seas is actually probably a legal term. Seas. Yeah, it's more fun. So the Convention on the High Seas is an international treaty, <laughs> um, and basically it uh, it lays out these these ground rules. Um, so I guess they created four different treaties around this, um, kind of grouped together. Uh, but it was it was done by the UN, I believe, um, signed on nineteen or on April twenty ninth, nineteen fifty eight, um, and it started i guess uh being enforced in september of 1962 okay um i guess there's but the interesting thing is since this is a international treaty um not everybody or not all countries are gonna necessarily buy into it right sure so i have something here that says uh 63 states and by that i'm, I'm sure they mean countries yeah um, so if, if that means that you're a country that doesn't, you know, you're not one of those 63 countries. Does, yeah, you haven't ratified it. 
yeah, what happens there? That I'm not sure. I didn't no, actually that, get an answer for that. That's an interesting... I was just thinking... That must be... Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be so assertive, but... Yeah, that's going to be a super weird gray area where you might mm-hmm. actually be able to kind of do whatever you want. You might face, like, local justice for certain things. But I feel... Yeah, I feel like what would happen, though, is... It's probably, you know, the countries that haven't ratified this are probably not that, I don't want to say not substantial, that's not putting it the right way, but don't have the largest influence, right? So who's going to back them up if, let's say, they do something and then the U.S., um, you know, takes action on it because they are doing something wrong? Is somebody going to come in and back up the small country? I don't know. Probably. Maybe today they would, but, but most likely not, right? But I'm, I'm trying to think, like, what if there's a, uh, if you've got, like, a small coastal country mm-hmm. and that it hasn't ratified it, there's going to be, let's say, and let's say up and down the coast, except for this one country, um, everybody's ratified this treaty, right? So there's a gap, like, mm-hmm. and you need to, you need to do a, a drug deal and you're just like, all right, we'll just meet in the middle of this country's waters exchange and then drive away well i think the problem is when you return <laughs> you still have drugs <laughs> on board <laughs> so, so yeah the, maybe the active, the so unless you fine, but. yeah unless you exchange out in those waters and then consume all of the drugs out there <laughs> then maybe you're okay but that's probably not your <laughs> what you're looking for <laughs> you imagine you're you're the although that would be a wild party if you just had it in international waters and anything goes (laughs) well that begs the question i bet is drug use is probably legal in international waters right there's probably no well it depends so let's we can Uh, lay this out in terms of how some of the laws work and i because i don't think so it it depends on the ship okay so basically everything starts you know let's take our ship for example just an example ship, um, starts with the flag that the ship is flying under and where, um, you know, the, the ship is registered basically. So yeah, if you register a boat from the U S and, you know, all legal and whatnot and take it out to international waters, you're still subject it's, to the laws of the country in which you're flying your flag it's kind of like you're you're floating uh, a, a floating piece of land that is technically the united <laughs> yeah. states yeah you're right that's a good way to look at it actually um and if i'm not mistaken not a lot of boats are registered with the u.s because you can there are there yeah are some, i remember talking about that when uh, about shipping vessels right there there are a couple countries out there that have super they they market themselves as, hey, you need to register a boat? Why don't you? <laughs> anyway. um, yeah, so that's going to be on the boat itself. Um, but I don't know. There's there's kind of a lot that uh, goes into determining, I guess, the laws at, at which the boat's subject to. So um, if you're... In internal waters, of course, you know, which is going to be within this zone or in bays and ports, whatever. Um, I think, so let's say an international ship is docked at a port in Miami. 
the laws are going to apply the laws of the u.s and florida itself are going to apply to that ship regardless of where it came from okay so you know if a european ship parks at you know the the bay in florida it's not the people of the ship are not subject to european law anymore because right. they're inside of the u.s's uh boundary right. area right um and actually, before we go further with that, the boundary, so the boundary area is set up in like two different ways. So from zero to 12 miles is what they call um, territorial waters. So zero to 12 miles out of the coastline, it's fully up to said country to police and control to the right. full extent of their laws, that, right. that water. Um, but then... There's like a second layer that goes from 12 to 24 miles Hmm. um, where a country only has like certain rights. And I'm not sure what the breakdown of that is. I didn't go that far. But so they can be patrolling those, you know, that 12 to 24 mile area um, and protecting and, you know, they can stop boats uh, that are suspected of drug smuggling and things like that. Um, But they don't have as much control so an interesting example of that um so let's say we have a cruise ship leaving the u.s if it is within the zero to 12 mile range no gambling can happen because gambling is illegal in most of the u.s so all of the u.s laws apply but when you get to the 12 to 24 mile area whatever the the layout of these now loosely or looser yeah, restrictions yeah. are right. now they can open up gambling that's amazing mhm um which is really interesting because it's legal in certain areas right so i guess i i've never been on a cruise i don't think you have either no um but if it has gambling on it yeah i guess it doesn't you can't legally partake in any of that stuff until you get to a certain I'm point in the ocean i'm picturing like the gambling floor <laughs> there's a giant red or green light at the top <laughs> like hanging from the ceiling or whatever and everybody's there's old ladies the... lined up with like sacks of pennies just like the dealer's literally got his cards like he's he's positioned he's ready to start dealing blackjack the light like goes the starting line of a race everybody's lined up around Ding, 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 People ding. just start running the slot machines the moment the light turns green. I mean, that's basically what's going on. That's crazy. Um, yeah. The coke comes out too at that point. <laughs> oh, definitely. Because why not? Um, so along those lines as well, um, let's say, you know, a European ship, whatever another country's ship is within our 24 mile boundary. Um, and we suspected of smuggling drugs. We, you know, we are able to, um, board that ship okay. on that pretense. So if it's beyond that 24 miles though, I guess, I guess you can't, um, uh, let's see. Yeah. Okay. So again, that same ship, the second it enters that, or leaves, depending on how you want to look at it, that range. It's it's laws and the people that are on the ship, you know, the laws that they have to abide by change the moment you pass that line. Right. So it switches back. So the U.S. no longer has the authority, basically, to invade, mm-hmm. like, a Scottish boat 
Right. Which just a minute ago was a, a U.S. boat. A U.S. boat by, by all intents and purposes, yeah. Right, right. Um, <laughs> one thing that I found that was really interesting with this, so um, let's say you have two countries that are, you know, their land, in the or the ocean, rather, that separates them is less than 48 miles. So technically oh, okay. they're, and, they, and both these countries have ratified this, Convention of the High Seas. Um, basically, now they have their overlapping boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. So I think in most situations, they draw a line down the middle and just divide it in half. Um, but I think that that can cause some issues. There's a very politically charged situation in the seas off of China's coast where they started um, building islands to extend their 24 oh, mile no radius. Way. Yeah, yep. Can you do that? Well, that would be the crux of the issue. <laughs> oh, right. Right, right. <laughs> I, won't, I won't, I don't have an opinion on it. It's just, it's fact that that's what they're doing. And uh, That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like actually from my reading and now that you brought that up, China is kind of like a maritime bully. Uh, yeah, so they do have disputes with um, a number of the countries that are, are within that overlap. Yeah, definitely. They do have a lot of uh, coastal boundary mm-hmm. disputes. Well, and um, a few things that popped up. Um, the big one of the bigger ones that just in twenty sixteen, December twenty sixteen, we had a there was a U.S. drone underwater that was technically in international waters, um, and China captured it. Basically, Ooh. they said that we were um, collecting. You know. Yep unauthorized data and regardless of the yeah so (laughs) even though this this whole thing is set up it still gets disregarded because like it's probably hard to so these boundaries are going to be defined at first by nothing really other than a map but nowadays they're gonna you're gonna have satellite equipment or whatever you're gonna be able to see but ultimately you're you're still in the middle of the ocean once you're at that 24 Mm -hmm. mile mark and that's got to be kind of hard to prove down to the foot or meter or whatever. Yeah, right? Like, what are you going to do? Stop the boat and right. draw a line oh, directly shit. behind you to the coast and right. see if it meets? <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. That's That's got to be pretty hard to, to police that. Um, okay, did so our... Did we get our drone back? Probably not. Uh, yeah, I guess we did, actually. Oh, okay. uh, in the end. Um, I don't know how long it took them to return it, but so there's some quotes that are along with that story that I'm going to share because they're pretty funny. Um, they're from, so the first one I think is, uh, from an article, but it says (laughs) it's a sovereign immune vessel clearly marked in English, not to remove from the water that it was U S (laughs) property. And that just made me think like somebody (laughs) took a Sharpie and just wrote on the side. Product or property of the U.S. Do Don't not touch. take. Don't, Don't touch. touch. I mean, <laughs> totally essentially, not collecting yeah, unauthorized data. <laughs> and can you then even funnier? Can you imagine the Chinese boat pulling up and they're like, "Oh shit, we can't touch it." <laughs> well, and here's another quote by Captain Davis of the U.S. I guess associated with this program in some way. He says, "It's ours. It's clearly marked as ours. We would like it back, and we'd like this to not happen again." <laughs> Captain Davis is pissed. <laughs> oh man. 
<laughs> it sounds so funny. Like, just the Chinese took it and we want it back. Yeah. It, it is. It but is yeah. got an air it, of it just like. It seems so silly. Yeah. Childishness. Chi- to uh, it. That's what I was going to say. It was childish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's got my I name, had my on, name it. on it's that. mine. That's mine. Give it back. <laughs> Don't do that again. And meanwhile, China's like, no, no, this is ours. Yeah. We found it. This is ours. <laughs> we'll give it back to you once we make a counterfeit version real yeah. quick. That's all they were doing. Probably. That's what I do. Um, okay, so one of the most interesting things I found about all this, um, and this actually goes back to, and I hope you didn't mention I don't think you did, but way back when we did the Prohibition episode. Okay. Yeah, wow. Uh, which has got to be like episode like, less than 10. Yeah, I think it was five. Uh, maybe six. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, but international waters played a huge role during yeah. Prohibition. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you did you bring this up at all? I don't remember. Um, no, I don't think quite to... I, I think I know just from, you know, they. I assume they would drive out to that, past that 24-mile mark to make yeah. their exchange. And then just well, they take called the risk it, of... Right. And they called it Rum Row. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so they're literally know. referring to the line of ships that would sit there anchored beyond the the limit. Um, which actually, at the time, um, I think we had our own laws, maybe? Because this is before... Right. This is before the, the High Seas Treaty. Right. Because this is in, like, the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Um Prohibition was from 1920 to 1933, correct? Right. Um, so at the time, the limit was actually three miles. Oh, easy. Before easy. they changed it. they Because of Rum Row, they changed it to 12 miles later, apparently. like Or at least that was... Yeah, it says in 1924, they changed it to 12 miles. So that was later put into the treaty later on. But we had that set up beforehand because oh, of Rum Row. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so basically, um, these these rum runners would just come up to that line, and I guess they knew where it was, and they would sit outside major U.S. ports and just anchor. Um, and then, you know, other boats would come out, basically, and they would do the exchange in international waters, and then the people smuggling it back in would, would be the ones to take that risk. Right. But ultimately, the people sitting in the boats which were probably from Canada or elsewhere. Um, actually, I think a lot of them were from Canada. They really had no, nothing nothing wrong there. Right. I mean, you did have some, it was a dangerous business, right? Because let's say, you know, you probably had a lot of people trying to hijack the boats or steal the product or whatever. Uh, um, that is absolutely, well, I shouldn't say absolutely the case, but uh, there's a HBO show, Boardwalk Empire, and I was watching mm-hmm. it at the time that I did the, that's what partially what got me onto the prohibition topic, and sure, yeah, of course. So this is this is the height of, or the maybe not the height, but the uh, very active time for the American mafias and all that. So yeah, this is very dangerous business. Hmm. Yeah, I mean the the, the mob, uh, the mafias and whatnot, they profited immensely off of the mm-hmm. prohibition stuff, and so they yeah they were absolutely uh, engaged in all this. Yeah, this was a pretty big, um, actually, uh, operation from, you know, the the people smuggling, but also from the Coast Guard in the U.S.'s perspective. Um, so I guess it, it started kind of in Florida, 
and product was coming up from the Caribbean. But then nice. Canada got involved and in all this stuff. So it basically happened all around the coast of the U.S. Um, and it says the notable locations, though, were the New Jersey coast, which was by far the largest. That's, a, that's Atlantic City, which is exactly mm-hmm. where um, the, the show took place. Okay, so that makes perfect sense. Explains a lot about New Jersey. Uh, San Francisco, <laughs> Virginia, Galveston. Not sure. Where's that? Galveston. I know the, Actually, I know no. the name, but I, I don't honestly know. I can find out. Um, and then, oh, Texas. Okay. And then New Orleans. But this is interesting. Um, the Navy turned over 20 U.S. destroyers to the Coast Guard to, to fight this rum running Dude, they were thing. so motivated against booze. It was crazy. It's crazy. That is, that's a lot of money, effort, the crews on all those Everything, boats. Everything, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so those are the rum runners and the rum row. But there's, when you look all this information up, there's one guy who <laughs> is kind of like the shining star, Mr. Bill McCoy. I, I might. Have you heard of him? I, I don't I would be surprised name, if he but... wasn't in that show. Oh wait, you're still talking prohibition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um no, I don't know who this is. Okay. Um So basically he I think he's credited with this idea really of bringing boats to the edge of the US jurisdiction at the time, which would have been 3 miles when he was starting this. Um So he kind of he kind of set this whole thing up where he would park out beyond the line and then he had what he called contact boats which were the local fishermen and other small boat captains that would come up and buy his product and and then you know it was off his hands at that point they would uh, smuggle it back in um i pulled up so his... he kind of started this and people followed suit after right. he did it i pulled up his wikipedia page um I, mm-hmm. he might have the name he might have had a, a role in the show but i just mm-hmm. anyway um yeah, so I think their motivation for changing it to 12 miles is to make it, you know, if you had these small contact ships, it was a lot easier for them to go 3 miles than it was for them to go 12 miles. Yeah, sure. Depending sure. on, you know, and then exchange cargo and all that stuff. So, but if they were just able to do this willy-nilly and change the number from 3 to 12, I don't know why they didn't either make it further or... Not really sure. Uh, maybe because twelve they're... miles is is difficult for them to. Maybe twelve miles is like sort of effectively uh, all they could really patrol. Because if you made it a hundred, right. yeah, you made the line a hundred, but you, you, right now everybody's going to figure out it doesn't help you. Right, yeah. right. Um, real fast, it's a diminishing your turn. Yeah. Bill McCoy was born in uh, Syracuse. Really? Yeah, eighteen seventy seven. Right on. Proud of that. um criminals so this is where the story of bill mccoy gets fun so he was doing pretty good for himself and he buys himself a new boat that is called uh the gloucester knockabout schooner is that how you say that type of boat schooner yeah 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 um so it had a name he bought it at an auction but then he renamed it to tomoka or tomoka T-O-M-O-K-A. Tomoka, I'm going to say. Yeah, I know. Uh, anyway, the best part is is he 
Um, it, I think it had fishery, you know, things for holding fish pens in the bottom. Right. Or fish pens for holding fish uh, in the bottom. There's a name for that. I'm forgetting. Yeah, go ahead. Well, he took all that out and <laughs> made it fit as much booze as possible, sure. basically. Um, and then to protect his precious cargo, he put a machine gun on the deck of the boat. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, so he was ready to defend himself and his product. Um, but one other thing that made him such a a well-known name is that it was really common for the people that were selling the booze and everything to water down their product and stretch their profits. And, right, absolutely. You know. Stepping um, on it. Yeah, or since there was no other alternative, they could relabel cheap stuff as good stuff and, you know, all that. Um, but he was known for not doing any of that. Oh, wow. So he was now, famous for not watering really down good. his booze. Yeah, he was the real deal. <laughs> so have you ever, actually, this is interesting. Have you ever heard of the term the real McCoy? Like that. Yeah, um, okay. okay. Yes. They, this has been nagging at me. There's I, The name McCoy has significance. Yeah. I was not finding it, though. The real so McCoy. That, okay. Yeah, and that's like a, a American euphemism for something's the real deal, right? Right. So it's not confirmed that that's where it comes from. That term kind of has a bunch of different possible... Um, origins. You know, origins, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's one of them, is that it could have come from him. Because he sold good shit. he sold good shit. Yeah, that good shit. <laughs> <laughs> He's, I'm looking at his picture. He's smiling. He looks like a happy dude. <laughs> um, so on November 15th, 1923, okay. he's on his boat, um, and he encounters a U.S. Coast Guard ship oh. um, of the Cutter variety, which is a type of boat. Yeah, that's um, fast. Yeah, the boat was called the Seneca. Uh, it was just outside our waters, <laughs> um, but a boarding party... Tried to get on the boat anyway. Uh, apparently, he used his machine gun quite effectively here to try to fend them off. Holy fuck. Um, so, yeah, they were exchanging gunfire. Um, but I guess, ultimately, he uh, surrendered his ship in cargo because the Seneca, the, the Coast Guard boat, put a nice size hole in the hull of his ship. <laughs> dude, this guy. So, they were going at it, dude. Wow. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it's interesting, though, going back to what we were saying before, how some of these these laws are in place, but they're not necessarily always followed. Yeah, they, they technically just... weren't allowed to board his ship, but they did anyway. Yeah, yeah. And um, he ended up, ended up going to jail, I assume, or getting captured or whatever. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Um, I have it somewhere. Yeah, he ultimately pleaded guilty, and he spent nine months in a New Jersey jail. Um, and when he got out, Not it says bad. that he invested all his money in real estate. Um, and then he continued to build boats with his brother and stuff and, yeah. and all that. But he got clean after. <laughs> Dude, so, sorry, you said nine months? That was it? Nine months. That's what Dude, I Dude, yeah, for opening fire on federal <laughs> agents. That's incredible. Well, they were probably had they probably had to strike some deal because they were technically not yeah, supposed yeah. to be I'm sure boarding his ship. That, yeah. He was like, Dude, you, what you did was illegal and I was defending myself. That would have been a good argument, right. I suppose. Um, That's so crazy. <laughs> so I have a quote from from him himself in regards to this whole situation. He says, uh, When the Tomica was boarded under cover of the Seneca's guns, 
I immediately set sail and ran away with the boarding party. One lieutenant, one boss, and thirteen seamen, and only upon their pleas did I heave to and put them back on the Seneca. The damned radio was too severe a handicap for me. I surrendered the Seneca, had fire... Wait. I surrendered after the Seneca had fired four-inch shells at me. Oh, oh, damn. (laughs) Dude. Oh, and this, if you want to talk about this guy being, um, or us being proud of him, this says, um, when asked what defense he planned to make at the hearing before the trial, McCoy introduced the details of his operations by replying, I have no tale to, I have no tale of woe to tell you. I was outside the three mile limit selling whiskey and good whiskey to anyone and everyone who wanted to buy. (laughs) This guy's amazing. Okay. go. I love how... In that sentence, not only is he like, yeah, I was selling booze, I was selling good booze. <laughs> yeah. He's got a reputation to keep. <laughs> yeah, so I can't wait for this whole thing. I'm actually liking this guy more and more. This is amazing. <laughs> I want to go back real quick. So yeah. I, I didn't really realize when you first said that he got holes in his ship mm-hmm. and the fact that they had a cutter-class uh, vehicle uh, ship. So this guy was, not only did he, I'm going to guess he opened fire first. Um not only did he um, choose... I, yeah, I'm not sure, but probably. He's going up against four-inch guns, which are legitimate naval guns. We're not, they're mm-hmm. not, yeah, this was a Navy ship. Yeah, he's not exchanging fire with another boat that only has a machine gun on the front of it. Mm-hmm. He's exchanging fire with a full-on warship. That's just <laughs> ill-advised, really. <laughs> um... I think they fired first, actually. Okay. I, I, okay, listen to this. Yeah, he probably... Um, this is a report from... Um, okay, it says uh, Lieutenant Commander Perkins of the Coast Guard Cutter Seneca. So this is apparently, a, you know, a report from the guy on the ship itself. Okay. Um, ordered the crew to keep silent. The bow of the schooner was then turned out to sea, and when the commander of the cutter observed the movement, so I guess the they saw the Tonica moving towards sea as if maybe it was getting ready to flee, he shot across he sent a shot across the bow of the Tonica. Uh she returned the fire with a machine gun set up oh, on her okay. forward deck. So they did so, a Yeah, so it shot. sounds like Bill was getting ready to turn and they shot like kind of a warning shot, and so then he opened fire with his machine gun. Okay, okay. Still huge balls. That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that was pretty fun. I just enjoy that he he has no tale of woe to tell you. He was doing what he was he was meant to be doing. I did nine um, months. Right feels like it should be more but it says it was a very long drawn out trial so i'm even though he pleaded guilty so there must have been some there must have been solid been very difficult outside to, of the right yeah. right they must have stopped mid-battle to measure it <laughs> wait 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 <laughs> um let's see i know of uh another example yeah i got one more here okay, which ahead. one are you thinking of i was there's a there's a situation where someone basically is trying to or 
I don't know if it's still, I doubt it's still going on, but they, uh, their own country. It's a, it's their own country that it's just like a floating oil platform. <laughs> um, did they like revoke their citizenship from wherever they yeah, came and set yeah. up their own? Yeah. Hang on. It's, it sounds like it's not your example. I'll try to find it. While no, you're... it's not. Okay. Um, so the other one that I found, um, I was hoping to find more incidents like Bill McCoy, but he was, he's kind of the best, most fun international waters related story I found. But, um, another one, the USS Liberty, I don't know if you've heard of that ship, but, um, it was basically a United States, you know, Navy research ship and it was in international waters, but, um, the Israel Air Force, they had a fighter jet and they basically shot at the, the boat, um, killed 34 crew members, Yikes, uh, okay, wounded 171 crew members and severely damaged the ship. So I don't think it sunk, but you know, they did, they killed people and hurt a lot of people. Um, so it was, uh, it looks like, so they actually, it was Northwest from the Egyptian city of Arish, which I don't know about, um, North of the Sinai Peninsula, S-I-N-A-I. Um, but either way, uh, it was about 29 miles off the coast, so, you know, close. But yeah. but definitely, if you're able to verify that, it's certainly beyond the bounds. Um, but basically, Israel apologized for the tax, saying that, <laughs> this is the, the craziest part, that they thought it was an Egyptian ship. So they were willing to blow up and destroy an Egyptian ship, but once they learned that it was actually a U.S. ship, they were like, oh, sorry. So I'm not sure what Israel was was doing at the time with Egypt. But are you? Uh, do you have any knowledge of that? This happened in 1967. No, I don't. Something called the Six-Day War. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of it, but I, yeah, I actually don't know any details. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is yeah. This I mean, is gonna be I'd never a even heard of it. Charge situation. This could have easily gone way bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, they apologize and blah blah blah. But ultimately, people were still dead and hurt. So in 1968, um, the Israeli government paid, uh, let's see, equivalent in today at the time it was 3.32 million, which is about 24 million today. Um, in compensation for the families of the people that they killed. Uh, and then they had to pay again another, in the time, 3.57, which was, again, almost $24 million in today's money uh, for the people that they wounded. So they paid, like, yeah, $50 million in today's money for As this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then they paid for the uh, the boat itself later on. Yeah, so, so it's just kind of interesting. They, That was one instance where the international law was, dis, I guess, accidentally disregarded. Right. Um, but then they, they had to pay for it, so. Huh. I'm not sure what would have happened if they attacked a Egyptian ship, though. Bad, uh, I mean, bad things, I would imagine. But mm. still, what they did was not great either. No, so it's kind of interesting. Um. So those are the best examples I found. So we had the China one earlier, Bill McCoy, of course, and then yeah. the USS Liberty. Um, so what was the one that you were... There the, is The floating a, island. Uh, it's the 
I would suggest Googling it real quick. Maybe could have been a topic on its own, but uh, <laughs> Principality of Sealand. <laughs> it's a micronation that claims yeah. that this offshore oil platform 12 kilometers off the coast of Suffolk, England, uh, which was previously this, well, it says oil platform, but it was originally built as a anti-aircraft station for World War II um, and then was taken over somehow, I guess, or just basically pirate radio people squatted on it and were outputting a, a radio signal. Mm-hmm. This guy, uh, uh, Bates something, Patty Roy Bates, took it from these guys, these pirate radio people, intending to make his own pirate radio station, which I guess was a high competition business. Um, and then in 1975, so he did this in 67. Um, and then in 1975, he wrote a constitution and tried to declare his own nation. And basically England just like who tolerated would you, it. Who would you write that to? I, well, that's the thing is nobody recognized it. So <laughs> to he whom them, it may concern. <laughs> he Basically, he sent, a, he sent his constitution over to the UN maybe. Um, but nobody ratified it. Like nobody, you know, obviously no established country recognized his government his government so he's sitting there yelling into the ether saying i'm a country and everybody's turned got their backs turned to him which is kind of funny um Um, so basically it says here that he died he moved back to the mainland eventually yeah yeah so it didn't work so is it not is it still Sealand now? I think kind of. It looks like it. It look it kind of looks like it, right? And if you scroll down on that Wikipedia page, you'll see his son Michael Bates holding a book. So like, yep. you know, they're not arrested. You know, <laughs> nobody's been arrested or or anything. They have their own football. This is team. interesting because what the fuck? <laughs> Literally, there's a whole sports section. Yeah, what the hell? So yeah, international waters. They're okay, within, I have a few they're things. outside. I think they're outside the initial. One of the things here is they're outside the initial uh, twelve miles, but they're inside the twenty-four. Well, it says it's only seven point five miles off the coast. Oh, I'm so, Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Actually, sorry. So that's I'm interesting at a map that, that they let that happen. I'm looking at a map that. Uh, they're probably just like well, it's way easier to just not not deal with shit. that. I mean, he wasn't shooting at anybody, so right. Just, and my, my now somebody's maintaining that thing they built. <laughs> my first question was, um, you know, how are they getting food? True. The total they had their own coins. They yeah, really they went their, in on this. Yeah, dude, they had their own money. The total area claimed is point zero zero four kilometers squared, which is hilarious because oh that's not very big for a whole country. What's the population? <laughs> Two. <laughs> or maybe zero right now zero because right the guy now, moved yeah, back. I think, I think it's uh, I think it's over. So the guy died, unfortunately. Well, he was old. My other great could you imagine that? Like, yeah, my grandfather lives out on that platform seven miles off the coast. Oh, He's normal shit. otherwise though. They had a devastating fire in two thousand six. What the fuck? Yeah. Dude, it's are you looking at the picture of it? Oh yeah, yeah. It has a gun on it. Yeah. And a helicopter pad with hand painted sea land. Yep. It's got a crane to lift materials from boats. Mm -hmm. I will say those those uh, pillars that are on look—they're massive, mad sturdy. Yeah, giant concrete pillars holding up what 
it's, and it's just a house on it. Yeah, it's just a little. What the fuck? He must have had some okay. money to set this up. He would have had to ship building materials and everything. My one other gripe is that look at the flag. You had the opportunity to make any flag you wanted because oh. you're literally creating a country and you made it a three-color flag with a stripe in the middle. Yeah, it's red on the top left with a diagonal white stripe and a black, you know, the, so the other and the other, other corner's black. It's a terrible. Yeah. It's just, I would have made it, like, way cooler than that. Did a good job on the coat of arms, though. <laughs> www.clandgov.com is painted <laughs> on the side of it. Oh man. So yeah. That's fun. I didn't know about that. I can't remember how I first found out. I just <laughs> randomly on the internet, I'm sure, at some point. Are there any other micro nations? I'm sure there are. I don't know of any others off the top, but and I I'd be willing to bet a lot of them have to work around or work with this whole international waters thing because Mm-hmm. It creates that gray market, that gray space that you can kind of weasel your way into. That's awesome. List of micronations. Oh, wow. The list is not that small. Huh. There's a good 40, 50. I, without, you know, we'll, we'll bore people. And yeah, maybe that's all of the day. Micronation. That, that is. Yeah, we'll have to look. Stay into tuned, that. everybody. Yeah, we'll have to look into that one. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for international waters. All right. Well, uh, let's see. WanderingBerryCenter at gmail.com. Uh, Instagram right. is definitely the best spot to interact. Mm-hmm. Um, usually with Alex. Uh, we got shirts on Amazon. You search our name. We're the only thing out there like it. So, mm-hmm. Except for the fishing lures. Don't forget. Yeah. Yeah. There's some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's if you go to amazon you search that yeah you get those fishing lures that come up which you know yeah. i almost bought just 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 i mean they, they look like a decent product they do joking aside maybe we can partner up suggest some topics too if you want to hear something yeah definitely we definitely do suggestions so. all righty all right catch you next episode